Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Hey, what's up, y'all? Alan Kenny, one of your co-hosts of Through the Keyhole, an Oklahoma Sooners football fan podcast. Uh, we're brought to you, of course, by our wonderful sponsor, Vanessa House there in Oklahoma City. And we also have a, a Patreon you can sign up for where you get all different kinds of uh, extra content. But this is our free show for the week. We're going to uh, hit on some of the biggest topics uh, really affecting the Oklahoma Sooners uh, football team as well as the college football world at large. But uh, we've got kind of a skeleton crew going tonight. It's just myself and uh, my uh, one of my co-hosts, Peyton Guthrie, here. We're going to be chopping things up. So let's go ahead. Welcome Peyton on. Peyton, what's up, man? Hey, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for <clears throat> one for running the show. I had so, I had a busy day today, and I tried to pass it to Brady, and then apparently Brady's internet completely went out on him, so he will not be able to jump on with us. So <laughs> tossing it over to you. So this you're you're getting to run Brady's show, <laughs> so it's kind of a little bit of a a sidewinder thing. So thanks for doing that. But no, it's going pretty good over here. It's still too, still too cold and still too damn windy, but I think it's supposed to be in the 40s tomorrow. So you know we've got a reprieve coming soon. Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, I got a sneak peek into Brady's twisted mind looking at uh, the map he had here for today's show. So hopefully I'll be able to uh, fill his shoes. And uh, speaking of filling shoes, Ted Roof left some Italian loafers for uh, somebody to fill there uh, on the uh, Oklahoma coaching staff. And we now know officially who that's going to be. Zach Alley, uh, formerly the defensive coordinator at Jacksonville State as well as the University of Louisiana Monroe and a longtime disciple of Brent Venables when uh, Venables was at Clemson. Um, I don't, this was not a, a secret by any stretch. I, I think that uh, Allie had been in Norman for roughly a week already before that was even announced. And, uh, you know, you put some pieces together and it sounds like this was, has probably been in the making for really a couple months. Um, before uh even before the end of the season so uh you know you know it's a hire that's been widely praised but i wanted to get your take on things peyton what i mean just any kind of knee-jerk reactions uh the only knee-jerk reaction i really have breaking this down is um there was a a guy on sooner scoop who uh just realized that a plane flew to norman uh from norman to uh wherever jacksonville uh, jackson state is yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> in like early, early, early November and said, huh, that's weird. That's where Zach Alley's coaching. And then that was the post. <laughs> and then yeah. there, lo and behold, this is where we're all ending up. I think this is a really good football hire. Uh, I, I bet I could assume there's some um, OU fans maybe kind of 
wanting to see more about this hire, if this makes sense. Like I, I subscribe to a lot of national media uh, podcasts. I think it's interesting to see how people from the outside look at Oklahoma or, or, or foresee college football as a whole. It causes me some heartburn sometimes as they're maybe not 100% like into it or know what's going on. And this didn't even bubble up on anything like this, that this, this hire was not brought up on uh, for me thing I saw from like solid verbal, you know, no one from the athletic wrote about it, nothing like that nature. So it's kind of treated being treated like how uh, the Brent Venables hire was at Oklahoma. Now, obviously it's a big different thing since the head coach, but it was basically, oh, that's a good football hire. Okay. Next, you know, it doesn't seem very sexy or moving or Oklahoma isn't doing what Alabama's doing right now. It's like we're hiring head coaches and then making them linebackers coaches. <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. we're hiring a guy who's moving his way up. He's extremely young. Uh, Brady had a piece on that on his Monday post uh, yesterday on the Patreon, just breaking down how Oklahoma hires really young, usually on its coordinator positions, uh, just historically, you know, it's something that's a, it's a growth area for Oklahoma. If I'm using that term, uh, using that terminology in the right way, uh, for its coordinators, they, they usually don't go after like seasoned established guys. Uh, very often, usually it's this guy here. He's cutting edge in some way, shape or form and looking at Lincoln Riley at that point in time, or even just when Bob Stoops was hired himself or when Barry Switzer uh, took over play calling duties, you know, he was 31, 32, maybe 30, something like that. He, uh, in, in and of himself. So it, it follows the historical trend of Oklahoma and Oklahoma football. Uh, and also follows a trend of what 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 Brent Brenables is wanting to do and uh, uh, on the defensive side. So if you look at just on you know on Soonersports.com, they're kind of breaking stuff down where what, what he likes to do, which is you know they're ninth in turnovers, they're tenth in interceptions, they're fifteenth in uh, 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 rush defense, thirteenth in sacks per game, you know things like that where it's like they are just attacking the team. You know they're attack 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 uh, from that perspective. And that's going to be really helpful for for Brent to be more of that CEO coach that I think if you're going to be a defensive head coach, that's the, where you kind of end up having to be. You know, I think offensive head coaches, they're always calling the plays. They're always the de facto QB coach as well. You know, everything of that nature. In my opinion, usually those defensive head coaches become more of that CEO coach, as we saw with Bob Stoops, as we've seen with Nick Saban and now Kirby Smart, so on and so forth. Um, so he puts a system in and Zach Alley's got, you know, the, you know, he's got some skins on the wall now, uh, to carry out that Brent style, uh, from it. I mean, do you think I'm, uh, anywhere off the beaten path, uh, on some of that stuff, having Brent, like needing to kind of back away some, and this is someone who can potentially lift some of that burden off of him. Yeah. I mean, I think eventually, you know, I don't, I don't think that for someone like Brent Venables, my impression is it's not going to be the kind of thing where he just, you know, overnight says, okay, now it's up to you. You know, I mean, you're, you're going to be running this. I mean, I think I see it more as a, a phasing out kind of thing, but again, you know, like with Ted roof, I always got the impression that, you know, he was kind of around because he understood this, he understood the system, but, you know, and, and would be kind of, you know, kind of channel Brent in that sense. Uh, but that, you know, I mean, it was also a situation where, you know, this is a coach who's been around quite a bit, uh, really, you know, it was, it's, it was going to be kind of a the situation where you were going to have to, uh, you know, accept that whatever turnaround you got on defense was going to be attributed to, uh, Venable's presence there and, and his involvement. Um, this is something new though. I mean, you know, maybe Brent, Brent, well, I'm sure will still have a pretty heavy hand with the defense, but, 
you know, as time goes by, he'll be able to become uh, more of the uh, executive and turn things over to Ali, who clearly has had an opportunity to, you know, he's doing a lot of what Brent Venables does on defense, um, but has, you know, had an opportunity to experiment on his own. I mean, he's his own show for three years now. So he's, you know, done some things that uh, he can kind of bounce off of uh, Venables and incorporate at some point, but the overriding, I think the overriding kind of uh, principles that uh, Venables likes to instill in his defenses, all that's going to remain intact. Yeah, I mean, they're just so similar in a lot of ways, uh, their scheme and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of overlap there. Like you say, you can phase out, you can really kind of fine tune this stuff. And this won't be the, this won't be the first time Zach Alley obviously has worked under Brent uh, with their shared time at Clemson, I believe, if I have that right. So they'll have some um, some similar some similarities in the system, similarities in what they're trying to do. The, the roof hire to me never made any any sense whatsoever unless it was purely and only for the uh, idea of you're hanging around for two, you know, two mm-hmm. years max. I'm just doing you a solid <laughs> as we try to right. solidify everything uh, down the line. Uh, you know, and if I remember right, or if, if the reporting was correct, that I saw that, you know, OE had offered roof, you know, and uh, a chance to stay on, you know, maybe that's like an analyst role or something of that nature. Obviously that didn't, uh, uh, come to fruition and also like if you're a roof why would you <laughs> yeah. uh, so it, that that's that part is kind of uh, interesting in my opinion of kind of figuring out how this all f- at, where it all kind of falls in the line like how much like we both mentioned like how much will Brent give up how soon will that happen where are we going to see you know is that calling the plays and things of that nature are we going to see Brent move off of just saying, you know, we got to win the middle eight over and over again. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> yeah. are, are we seeing better clock management? Are we seeing these things? Is he having a better call, you know, on the offense? And, and I think it happened a little bit this past year with Levy. Uh, I think it was after the, uh, you know, after the Bedlam game, OU's offense became a lot more north and south. I mean, I, I, I mm-hmm. believe there's only like two jet sweeps called for the rest of the season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and I know that's me being facetious and putting the fan hat on and everything, but it is true that defense, the offense stopped going so side to side and really started pressing, you know, pressing the issue at that point in time. It would be nice to see if Brent is able to sit in those rooms with Seth and with, you know, uh, Joe John and, and really kind of hit some of those hits home saying like, this is what we need to do. We need to attack this way. Uh, Cause at the end of the day, it's not Brent's defense. It's Brent's team. <laughs> that's yeah. that's the thing that needs to be across. Like, how does he envision the entire program underneath his thumb? You know, like he is seeing it. Like it needs to be his his thing. And I understand that you know Levy at one point in time, or maybe not one point in time, his head coach Mississippi uh, Mississippi State, what is seen as a head coach, a Power Five head coach, very organized, and that could have been a really nice spot for for Brent to say, hey, this is a guy I, I can trust to. Uh, uh, you know, to run that side, but now he's got another former head coach there as well. So it, it'll be interesting to see how much his collection of talent, how much his collection of uh, coaches um, can help, can help OU continue to grow in the first year of the SEC. But I mean, maybe like what I mentioned earlier, it, it's very nary a needle has been moved <laughs> by any of Oklahoma's yeah. uh, coaching hirings on the offense or the defensive side. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but the thing is, is if you talk to guys like, for example, in analytics, 
I mean, it, very hard to argue with with what uh, Ali's team, you know, kind of you know put put ran through their uh, algorithms or whatever this year through their models. I mean, you know, uh, fifty two for example, fifty second overall in defensive SP plus. That doesn't sound very good until you keep until you think, uh, factor in that this is Jacksonville State. I believe in its was this his first year competing on the FBS level or maybe second first I mean, year you know, first yeah year. first year. So I mean, you're talking about essentially a startup. Right. I mean, you know, there's a history here with the fast paced offense. I mean, you know, Jacksonville State was, I think, 11th in plays per game and second in drives per game this year. So, I mean, you know, that's, again, the kind of thing I mean, we use, I use not abandoning tempo from any by any stretch from what I can understand. You know, uh, it was just a very, very well coached defense. Um, and so, you know, it's hard to really argue with uh, with the rationale behind it. You know, I guess now we get to see maybe what he'll do as a, you know, as a recruiter, um, you know, and that's that's maybe, I guess, the one area where, you know, you kind of wonder if uh, everything's lining up. But, I mean, he's 30 years old, so hopefully, you know, I mean, the young guy, energetic, who can get out there and, uh, you know, keep uh, landing some of the studs that OU's brought in the past couple years on defense. I mean, Keep in mind, I don't think Roof was doing a whole lot of recruiting from what I can tell. So, I mean, you know, it's almost like just about anything will be an upgrade there. Yeah, I mean, Roof obviously had the Southern connections with where he had coaching, everything of that nature, Georgia Tech and everything. But those connections Brent had already made, you know, as time in Clemson and stuff. And Clemson was recruiting those SEC grounds. So it's not like it's a was foreign territory for him. But maybe for the rest of the staff having a, you know, roof on there uh, would have been helpful at that point in time. But I mean, I don't know. It, it's been pretty interesting to see how these hires have gone on. You know, we've had Rob Bowen on multiple times, a uh, friend of the podcast on our Patreon, uh, Patreon episodes. And he says, uh, you know, the, the, usually the number one indicator of how good of a head coach is, is uh, how often they make good hires. You know, you have mm-hmm. to make good hires. You have to replace these guys, especially at places like Oklahoma, you know, like Alabama, like Ohio State, because if you have a good offensive coordinator, a good defensive coordinator, guess what? Somebody wants them to be their head coach, <laughs> you know, because yeah. you're, you're right. taking some of that culture with you, your system, you know, you're learning how to do that. And if Oklahoma wants to be, you know, top the top the hill again, you know, top dog uh, as the basketball team would like to bring back full time. Uh, you're going to have you're going to lose defensive coordinators, you're going to lose offensive coordinators. So it's smart to hire them young because then you can grow them, you know, at that point in time, like you're going to be able to keep Zach Alley more than likely for you know, at least three years, if he's good <laughs> at yeah. that point in time. And it's not like a one-year turnaround, like, you know, we'll get into it a little bit later, but like, you know, Jed Fish, it, you know, Washington hires him because he's the best guy available at the point at this point, or best guy who they could get at this point in time. Mm-hmm. But very, I mean, I don't know how his contract looks like, but from everyone I've been hearing from, it's like, well, next year he's then going to go to Florida. <laughs> like, yeah. That's just that, <laughs> yeah. you know. So it's like you're making one year hires or something at that point in time if you're not careful about it. So you have to balance that of hireability of other coaches and then yourself being able to hire and retain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I, it's again, it's kind of this thing where it's you know Zach Alley is not a big name by any stretch, but no, man, no. I mean, I know people really knew about him. With, but I didn't yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. You can't really argue though with like 
the the meat and potatoes the you know what's what's underneath the lid at this point so all right so i guess that now look at me i'm getting right back into hosting huh all right uh so after moving on from zach alley the other kind of big story around OU football right now is what's going on with the uh, transfer portal and that transfer market there. Obviously, most of the work, I believe, really, I think for all of it is done for OU in terms of signing high school prospects. So now we're looking at uh, some of the players who are still trying to make up their make their make up their minds as to where they want to uh, be playing next year. <sighs> You know, you look around, you take the temperature of the fan base looking at, say, like message boards and whatnot. And, you know, I think you see a lot of kind of consternation, especially because, oh, you did have a have a big transfer portal loss in uh, offensive lineman Caden Green going to Missouri. So the question becomes like, you know, how is it that Missouri lands this promising, you know, poaches this promising uh, offensive lineman? from OU and it doesn't sound like there's really been much progress towards, uh, you know, filling that roster spot and, and adding more bodies, uh, at, you know, a position of need there on the offensive line where OU's now going to have five new starters next season. And that's always, that's always tough. So I guess my, my general question Peyton is like, it seems to me that there's different approaches that teams are starting to take towards, both transfers and just roster man management in general, you know, you look at some, some schools, it seems like they're having, they're getting new rosters essentially every year, almost, you know, I mean, the Colorado is one example or Ole Miss, right. And that just clearly is not what OU is going for, but, you know, even when OU's in on some of these uh, bigger kind of prospects, I think uh, Lance Hurd is the big one right now. Uh, leaving the LSU, it, it just doesn't sound like OU is trying to blow anybody away with their uh, NIL offers to uh, to reel these guys in. I mean, am, am I off base here, is, or is that the impression that you're getting? No, it's the, it's, the, it's the impression I'm getting, and you and I have kind of talked about this. I mean, there's a, there's, there's a strategy uh, for, for what Brent wants to do, and it does seem like it's, it's recruiting high school preps first and foremost. I mean, you're trying to build, uh, you know, I, I mentioned it, I think our last public podcast, a, a rolling five-year team <laughs> to a certain yeah. degree. Like you've got a program that gets built out. The moment you get a commitment from a guy, he's either going to be there three, four, or five years, depending on his skill level and his production. Does he leave early? You know, does he have the red shirt? So on and so forth. Um, and that's that's how you build you know that should be the foundation of your program that should be you know the studs of your program it should be everything of your program and then you're able to look every once in a while and say hey we could probably upgrade some we could you know the, the wide receiver room we we could mess with that let's go get uh, uh, you know burks that's a mm -hmm. it's a luxury piece you know to me the uh, the portal needs to be seen as a luxury piece uh, it's, it's you know it's where you go find something that is if it's beneficial, that's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. If that if it doesn't pan out, that's fine because you already got your you've already got your other options that were already on the roster. You know, at that point in time, the issue where OU is <laughs> and, uh, and where this can be uh, can be a problem is kind of how you mentioned OU is going to have five brand new starters uh, regardless. They have five brand new starters if they bring in a bunch of portal guys. They're still going to have five brand new starters. So and so it really yeah. doesn't kind of matter at that point in time, but when you see other teams grabbing quote unquote highly talented players 
you think, oh man, OU's missing out. There's just something here that OU's missing. We're not, OU doesn't have a chance to compete now or something of that nature. When OU's got guys on the roster, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. that they have to feel some level of comfort with because they're not pushing them out into this portal, you know, from that perspective. Um, so uh, maybe, I don't think you're off base on it. I will say I do have my own frustrations Like as a fan. Like I'm trying to think of this logically, but as a fan, I'm kind of like, open the wallet. I mean, this is a, like her, the Kim example, the LSU uh, tackle. I'm like, this is a area of need. Oh, you needs to have it. <laughs> just go. Yeah. Like sometimes you have to overpay to, to, you know, just to play, you know, it's the price. It's the cost of doing business to a certain degree. Now you don't want to get caught up in that rat race. And then everything you do is the cost of doing business. It's like you, you it yeah. keeps compounding the interest at that point in time. Cause while there is no salary cap, there is a finite, you know, amount of this, you know, I, I think right. uh, red dirt sports and I would have uh, disagreements on this where it'd say, Hey, eventually these big boosters are going to say, well, what's my real ROI on this? <laughs> and, you know, he, uh, you know, red dirt's uh, response was like, these are people who already pay a bunch of money into it. There is no ROI they want. They just want to have the ability to fill in like they have some sort of control or some sort of influence over a program. And that part is very true. But you're seeing at places like Oklahoma where maybe people aren't as willing to completely fund this NIL thing. I mean, just look at Crimson and Cream a Collective. They're doing another grassroots promotion type thing to kind of get more people drummed up. You know, if they can get another 2,000 people to sign up or something of that nature, they're trying to do something of that. Uh, it, it does not seem to be connecting on an NIL level very well for Oklahoma. Uh, you know, I had Jason Belzer on. Uh, twice now who uh, who oversees the overall collectives from that uh that the overall uh company or whatever you want to say that oversees crimson cream collective and uh, a lot of other schools and he had mentioned that oklahoma walking to the sec now this is about a year ago would be at the missouri would be like above missouri and above arkansas when it came to nil and he's like uh, after that that's your OU's kind of behind like OU's looking at like 12th place overall cash on hand for that collective that's a tough pill to swallow. Well, if it's true, then no, you need to play Moneyball. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, or it needs to find ways of engaging its NIL, you know, big money boosters, engaging that side of it. Uh, or, I'm doing a bunch of ors here, they do what they probably are doing and are wanting to do. And uh, Joe, Joe Castiglione has already mentioned it, waiting for the revenue sharing model to fully drop and then... OU's right back in the thing because OU's one of the highest revenue generating uh, yeah. football programs uh, in the nation, usually in the top five, if not the top three at times. That's where OU would be able to kind of re-separate. But the idea of like taking the 10 cup and shaking it to all your fans and stuff just doesn't seem to be resonating well with Oklahoma fans uh, or Oklahoma boosters uh, beyond maybe what it normally is. And there isn't really a, a panic to do it quite yet. I think you had mentioned if Texas had won a playoff game, I think that that money would be easier to be found, <laughs> but it hasn't happened yet. Oklahoma is still winning games. They haven't seen the 90s seem a really far, far off distance at this point in time. If that kind of, I mean, it doesn't seem like there is, they, they feel as if there is a need to get there. And I'm not for sure there is either, to be honest with you. I guess that's my yeah. really rambly yeah. thoughts on it. <laughs> I, well, the way I look at it, um, 
part of the thing here is like there's there's a short term and there's a long term game to this, right? Yeah. And I think that it's very easy to say, you know, oh, you should be soliciting donations to its NIL fund or its NIL program anytime, anytime they have an opportunity, you know, uh, you know, holding fundraisers, that type of thing. Right. And I think if I, I, I don't have any special insight on this. Right. But like, think about like how political donations are going right now. And if you make one donation, you're all of a sudden signed up for a different list. Right. But these, the, the, the fundraising texts and emails are incessant and like, it's really just annoying more than anything else. I mean, I, and I think that one of the things that you're going to have to keep in mind, if this is going to be a long-term deal is that like people are going to get burnt out with giving all the time. And they're going to get burnt out with like being hit up for donations all the time. And it's going to become background noise at, at a certain point where it's like, oh, yeah, they're asking me for a donation, what, whatever. Like, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, that that is a, a legit deal. And after a while, especially when guys don't pan out, if you're always coming back to them saying, okay, well, we need money to sign this guy and this guy and this guy. You're right. I mean, when I think about ROI, I think more along the lines of ROI in the sense like you guys aren't managing my money that I'm giving you well. Like that's that's more the issue. You're not it's not it's not translating into anything. Um whereas, you know, and, and that's and I think that's what I really worry about more than anything else in terms of where the whole transfer thing could go for a team because like I don't know. I always, I always look at a team like the Baltimore Ravens in the NFL, right? I mean, you're talking about a franchise that has like a, a reputation for scouting really well, bringing, bringing their own guys into the fold, developing their own guys. And when, and when, you know, free agents leave, they've normally got some guy, some young guy ready, you know, or develop a developmental guy or a rookie that they draft ready to move in and take that, take that spot. You know, they pay guys like Lamar Jackson to, you know, uh, who, you know, clearly are a part of the franchise and have earned it. But it's a very kind of like self-sustaining model. I don't want OU to get in this, in this kind of, you know, live in this world where they're constantly relying on having to find players at other programs or, or lure them away. I mean, it's a lot better in my opinion to have the guys in the boat first, right. And keep them there as opposed to, uh, you know, trying to, to, you know, find guys on the open market all the time. I mean, most of these, most, again, most of these transfers, keep in mind, most of them are on the market for a reason. And, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of a shiny new thing, but man, like, I just don't think it's, it's a sustainable model long-term to be like, okay, we're going to go out and, and overspend for these guys every year, you know? Yeah. That's a point too, that I think is pretty interesting. I think Bud Elliott said he wanted to try to write something about it, but I don't know if you could actually do it because it really misses out on a ton of context. You know, let's say you're a player who's leaving, um, I don't know, let, let's say Louisville, you know, okay. throwing the dart, you know, and then, and then they transfer and they commit to, 
Florida State or LSU or Alabama. That's mm-hmm. that's like, okay, this is a guy who grew and developed and has now outgrown the, the level in which he was being pushed at, at that point in time, right? You, you could mm-hmm. say something along this. Now, now he needs to be surrounded by you know other players and other talent that will then push that person even higher. You know, iron sharpens iron, so on and mm-hmm. so forth. And then you have guys who transfer from LSU or transfers from, I mean, Alabama's not a good case right now because they got a new head coach, but transfers yeah. from uh, transfers from Georgia, you know, something like that. And you think, okay, well, why? What What are you, yeah. what's happening? Could you not beat out the people in front of you, which at places like Georgia, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's usually other five-star talent you're going against. Or are you refusing to go through the, uh, the, I'll call it the pain, you know, of, mm-hmm. of waiting your turn, of working for your turn, of trying to earn that potential at that point in time. And I know it's a real uh, Jocko type of mindset, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I apologize about it. Uh, but, you know, it's a gym bro kind of a mindset as well. You can't run away. Yeah, I'll say that. You can't run away from the punishment. You know, it's going to come sooner or later. You have to lean into it once in front of you. Um, not to go full Goggins or anything where it's like mm-hmm. you need to be in pain every single second of your life. But when you see players like that who are transferring out of good places, you know, let's look at Caden Green. I think you should look at Caden Green's situation, and I'm not trying to pick on the kid. He's, from all reports, going to do well, and he's going to be drafted in NFL. Uh, he's able mm-hmm. to, you know, short-term get a boost. So good for him for figuring that part out. Um, but why is Caden Green walking away from the University of Oklahoma, which, if nothing, puts people in the NFL <laughs> at yeah. offensive linemen? You know, so that's something you need to look at. Like, why is this defensive tackle leaving Georgia? Like, yeah, it, it's proven it gets its backups drafted in the first and second round. Like, what are you doing? You know, it's why did you know like the Bear Alexander thing? Like, why did he leave? Yeah, because he wanted and you know wanted to be the superstar, wanted to be the main guy, didn't want to be pushed around like that, didn't want to be part of the machine. Hey, it happens of that nature. Sometimes there's different personalities. But I think it is a buyer beware, to, to be honest with you, when it comes to the yeah. portal, stuff like that. And you you need to be really cognizant of it. And in that mindset, maybe you can find some bit of peace and solace, because uh, I'm trying to do this, <laughs> with the idea that Oklahoma is going to sign people from the University of Albany. <laughs> yeah. You know, stuff like that and say, okay, we need to put this in a different mind frame. Brent thinks this guy can elevate or has already elevated past his current place. He's going to be a good depth piece here. Right. I don't think you're going to catch, like when when A and M was like shedding everyone. Everyone's like, "Go get them! They're great." I'm like, they weren't great where they were. Like, yeah. why would they be great now? Yeah, and it's kind of like th- there's a third part too. What to what you brought up is my my third question is why wouldn't Georgia, for example, match the offer that this kid is getting if he's that important? You know what I mean? And like. You know, if a player if a player is literally stuck behind somebody and wants to change, it feels like they'd be better used in a different position. I understand all that, but you know, you'd also need to see like what it, if a, if a player was you know a year ago just worth X and now is asking for two X on the open market, and in between, you know, they're playing and, and it's because, and they also want to change positions. Like, I mean, is that a good bet? Is that, a, does that sound like a good deal? Or like, is that something that like you would 
a deal you'd make if you were desperate. You know what I mean? And when you let desperation kind of dictate how you make those decisions, it generally turns out pretty poorly. Yeah. yeah like you said, you can't be the, it's hard to negotiate out of need. <laughs> you know, like if they yeah. know they've got you, they've got you, you know, and I'm going to bring up the Caden Green thing again, because I know he got a lot of, uh, you know, vitriol from the OU mm -hmm. fan base or just call the football fan base in general. Uh, if what we think is true, then, you know, Missouri said you, you can be the left tackle and we'll pay you more. That just seemed like an extremely smart business decision for him. I mean, if OU mm -hmm. saying we'll let you compete, but we're really looking at you at left guard, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, his NFL draft potential is, you know, NFL money-making potential at tackle. If he can make it work out there, obviously he's much, much higher than if he were a guard or, you know, something of that nature. And he's got the, I mean, he's got the body type for it. He was recruited to be a tackle. He just performed really well at guard at Oklahoma. So, I mean, that, that's just a very, very specific use case that Oklahoma fans will have on there. So to me, if that position is just, it, he was just doing what was best for him beyond just the money thing. You know, it's, there's just some yeah. positions, position flexibility stuff at that point in time. And Oklahoma's also going to win a lot of these battles where they get people, uh, where you know, people will cry foul. And that's just the nature of the beast as it is right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, another big story. It's really the biggest story that college football has had in quite a while. Nick Saban is retiring or has retired, I guess, officially. And uh, Alabama has replaced him with Washington head coach Kalen DeBoer. Uh, so basically you have two uh, – you have a you know one team that was in the college football playoff hiring the coach of another team that was in the college football playoff kind of a uh, – you know, you know, it's the kind of thing where I feel like um, – for Bama's sake, you know, I don't know if DeBoer was like their first target or not. Um, you know, you you hear rumblings about they wanted um, Steve Sarkeesian or they wanted um, Dabo or Mike Norvell. I don't know. Lanning, I do, Lanning. Lanning was the big one. Yeah. Not Lanning Dabo. was Yeah. Yeah. Not Dabo. Yeah. But Lanning was the one who was supposedly in Tuscaloosa interviewing right after Saban uh you know retired which when in fact he was at home in <laughs> eugene watching a born movie with his kid apparently uh you know i i don't know i look at this though and it, it's such a big deal i mean, i guess we first we have to talk about saban i mean i'm not in a position to like you know i mean i've never met the guy or anything like that or you know spoken with him but it's hard to deny that he had such a like a widespread dramatic influence on really not only strategy and tactics in football, but organization, I feel like, and management and leadership is where he really made his mark. Yeah, I mean, he he bent college football to his will, you know? <laughs> I yeah. mean, for, for any other lack of, like, uh, term about it, he was – the person i mean anything that happened he could adjust to it he knew what he was doing he knew why he was doing it you know he, he would bitch and moan about so much stuff <laughs> that yeah. too i mean i don't want to sit there and say he didn't do that but you know he'd bitch and moan about tempo and you know like we need to do a flag and we need to figure out a way of like players can't come this fast and things of that nature and then but it was always kind of like if you guys really want me to then also do this you, you know mm -hmm. you need to be you need to be wary of it and then, you know, then Alabama embraced tempo and became like, you know, fully entered into that big offense era of like, mm -hmm. we're just going to put 60 points on everybody, which just wasn't what he did before. I mean, that's the kind of thing that I will always have for, for Saban to think about him is that 
the game never outgrew him. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that a great always way to put it, happens. Right. That always yeah. happens to everybody. Happens to Switzer, happened to Bud, happened to Bob, happens to everybody. It didn't happen to him. And there's been some people say like, oh, we didn't want to play this NIL game. We didn't want to do this and this. And it's like, he's 72. He's yeah, tired. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's, he was needing to get out because he was scared. I mean, he got out because it was time to get out. Yeah. And I mean, the, the NIL stuff, if anything, I think it's just more about like, energy and how much time you have to devote to roster management recruiting and and the thing is i mean he was always recruiting anyway right but i mean you know he talked about how you know how hard it became to put in as much time as he was accustomed to um you know it but it's just you know thinking back on the way that he you know kind of managed things uh you know the thing that i'm kind of struck by is like he had very much a certain type of confidence in his own uh, ability to, I, I guess, maybe not confident, confidence, confidence in his, in like his North star, if that makes sense in terms of, you know, like demanding, demanding perfection. And, you know, I think, I think that, you know, one of the things that seemed to um, kind of come through with when you learn about how he communicated with players and coaches and whatnot is that he was, you know, you can take sometimes, sometimes people are just acting like assholes because they won't feel like acting like an asshole. And his whole thing was like really pushing players, coaches to be better. And like, as his way of saying, like, I care about your development. You know what I mean? Like, it was he didn't sugarcoat stuff from what I can tell. Uh, but it was, you know, but like there was never a question like I'm doing I want you to do this because it will be better for you in the long run, you know. Uh I mean, you could even say that I think one of the things that he he uh you know took a lot of heat for early on, particularly at Alabama, was you know, you know, essentially cutting players, you know, processing guys out of the program, which you know, was, was controversial because, you know, I mean, he was doing stuff like saying, oh, well, you've got this medical condition that uh, you're going to have to medically retire or, you know, or, you know, figuring out ways to essentially make guys want to leave the program. Um, you know, it's, it's rough. It's, you know, kind of a rough way of doing stuff, but at the same time, I mean, I think that he'd also say, well, this guy can't, can't play here like there's no point in him staying here i've got guys who want this spot who are going to be better it's better for this guy to go somewhere where he can you know make his way you know what if if that makes sense so i don't know just uh you know you just a just really just such a gigantic figure in college football and you know I don't know who wants to take it you know all of a sudden now people talk about well does alabama a good job or not and yeah, you know, Kalen DeBoer, that's such a it's gonna be a huge culture shock for him, I've gotta think, and going from a place like Seattle to Tuscaloosa and dealing with the uh the uh you know that crimson tide fan base. I mean, that is rabid and as demanding as it gets, you know. Yeah, that's something that's gonna be in there too, because like we've seen now a lot of people talk about the uh, Alabama's NIL. Uh, mm-hmm. and saying things like, hey, guys are taking deals on, on the, you know, on, on the low end because of Nick Saban was the coach, because they had such a track record, because they put so many people in the NFL and that, you know, these players were doing that. And now 
uh, you know, that discount deal is gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Alabama is yeah. going to have to spin stuff up uh, on a different level as well when Saban, uh, you know, was kind of handling all that. Um, you know, you know, it, it's funny, like the year they discontinued the Dodge Charger, <laughs> Nick Saban's done, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. things are getting a little bit harder. But, you know, one of the things too is from that perspective, you know, what I'm trying to say here, the, the, the hiring thing I mentioned earlier, he missed on some hires. I mean, this last yeah. few last few hiring cycles fell apart on him, and he mentioned, I didn't have enough time because I was having to focus more on the defensive side than I'm used to. You know, he's having mm -hmm. to lean in and do more coordinator type stuff. Um, and it took, you could tell it was a drain. It took it out of him. He wasn't able to, you know, operate at the higher level that he wanted to uh, and had been used to doing. That was just something that was, you, you could tell was a drain on him and, and how it was operating there at, at, at Alabama. Uh, I think probably if anything you could point to and say that's what done him in was probably that. I mean, he's probably looking at now going like, this Tommy Reese didn't quite work out the way I wanted it to. We've got this thing. I have to potentially lean into that as defensive coordinator, you know, as much as we, you know, however, however well Golden did, and he wasn't able to replace him as well as he wanted to. And, you know, th there's, there's just a lot of heavy lifting for a 72 year old to do, <laughs> you know, if he yeah. stays at that spot. Um, Alabama being a good or a bad job, um, it's one of the only places where two two guys have won. <laughs> you know, yeah. Oklahoma's got three guys have won. I think it's the only place where three have done it uh, won at a good level. You could say Oklahoma's had four. You know, depending because Riley didn't win a title, but he won a very very high clip. Obviously, um, usually it's most most colleges they've got like if they have a big winning history it's one coach that was there for a long time and put up and stacked up a lot of wins. Uh, very rarely is that repeatable, even amongst the, you know, the blue bloods at that point in time. I mean, you, you know, Nebraska had Tom Osborne. That is yeah. Nebraska. <laughs> Before yeah. that, they were decent. After that, they were decent for a little while, but greatness only runs through one head coach. And even that's only, but you know, I would argue, and I'm going to be a hater. Uh, the only, the only really, really worked out for them. Because Oklahoma fell apart so so drastically yeah, well, and opened yeah. the door for them to to do good there because Switzer completely owned them. Uh, but there there's just a he's just a transformational figure for the for the sport. We are never going to see anybody do that again. Seven national championships, uh, it's just never going to happen. It, it, maybe never is hard, but it, it's just very very difficult. You're not going to see somebody take over something like that and do it in two places where the issue was the exact same. You know, LSU and Alabama both had issues that both seemed somewhat similar, which was everyone needs to listen to one voice. <laughs> uh, yeah. And they listened to his, and they won, a they won national championships at every spot he was at, uh, you know, after he came back from the NFL. Um, and I, still think, I still don't know if it's truly repeatable, repeatable other than what Kirby Smart seems to be getting close to doing it at Georgia. Yeah, yeah. I mean – I'll look back at the Saban era in Alabama and, and as like, like the ultimate marriage of like, you know, institutional will and resources with like a figure who was so demanding and so exacting as to, you know, harness all that, all that energy and all, you know, all that drive and, you know, channel it you know and like that's not an easy thing to do uh you know as history has shown us with Bama. so um 
so Saban is retired. That's one of those things. Okay. Oh, the uh, and of course DeBoer taking over. No, uh, and that also you know obviously touches off uh, kind of a domino effect with Jed Fish leaving Arizona to take over at Washington. Uh, we kind of touched on that already, but uh, Fish is a good hire. I mean, you know, in a football sense, it's very hard to argue with the hires that these schools seem to be making. Even DeBoer. I mean, I realize the cultural issues there, the recruiting, but I mean, I think that if Nick Saban had any say over this hire, I'm sure that he, you know, probably would have been in favor of bringing on DeBoer because, uh, you know, I mean, he's already tried to steal his offense once, right? I mean, clearly he thinks highly of him as a football coach, but, uh, you know, now though, you know, also kind of reality setting in, I think in a place like Arizona where, you know, you had Jed Fish who did such a good job there this year. Now he moves on though, you know, to what used to be your conference made in Washington. If there's, if those two schools are in the same conference, I'm not sure if that's necessarily a movie makes. I mean, probably, but who knows, uh, you know, but, and then, you know, kind of again, working down the food chain. Now San Jose state's coach is going to Arizona, uh, Brent Brennan, who did a great job at San Jose state too. So I don't know if there's anything really more to take, uh, take from that that we haven't already kind of touched on but uh i don't know any thoughts yeah the thoughts i have uh you know ken the board seems like he's going to be a great hire we still don't know if it's going to work out <laughs> you know that yeah that's, that's the hard part yeah to me i kind of pegged him in that uh was it chris peterson type of role mm -hmm. that's where i kind of thought he was going to be where it's you know sec i mean not sec basically yeah not sec head, successful head coach mm -hmm. where it's I've got scheme. I know how to coach guys up. I know how to get good football, you know, and I can make them do things and I can adjust my system to who I have at hand. Uh, I, I never saw him as a guy who was going to say, I'm going to overwhelm you with my asset collection abilities, you know, and mm -hmm. that that's a different side of it. You know, to me, he seems like a really, really good, it's going to sound like an insult, but it's not big 12 head coach, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. like, scheme and schematics and all those types of things where the sec it is helpful obviously to out scheme guys but it's way way more helpful if he's been 90 percent of the job getting five-star defensive tackles yeah clearly <laughs> uh, yeah so so that that to me is going to be something where we'll see if that test of uh you know maybe that mishmash of uh coaching personality or you know coaching coaching skill set versus the realities of the alabama job in the current you know sec where it is you know, that in the Big Ten are head and shoulders above everything else uh, yeah. from that perspective. But that said, if Alabama comes calling, there's only like, what, one or two schools who could withstand that? Yeah. I guess, you know, Sark at Texas, turns, apparently he turned them down. Landing at Oregon, apparently he, they turned them down. But I don't know. It, it seems like I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have faulted either of those guys if they went to Alabama. You know, it, that, that's the hard part. I mean, if a school like that opens up, you got it. And they say, we want you. That's kind of, I mean, that's, that, that's a cool ego boost. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. I guess. So here's an interesting thing though to think about is like, can you, I mean, can at this stage in his career, Kalen DeBoer learn to be that kind of, uh, you know, recruiting juggernaut, uh, you know, smooth talker or what have you that, you know, so many of these, so many of the, you know, SEC head coaches kind of made their bones on, you know, I mean, the idea of, you know, just nonstop recruiting. 
uh, or, you know, I mean, is that stuff that he can, in a certain sense, kind of, um, you know, I guess, delegate and really focus more on being, you know, like, I, you know, continue to be a foot, an offensive, uh, you know, mastermind. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Like in terms of the ability to learn the, that skill? I, I do. I do. It was something I thought about from that perspective of Alabama is moving away from the defensive coordinator, head coach. It's, you know, obviously if you look, if you were look, look at the record, hiring the defensive mm-hmm. coordinator is going to win you more national championships and hire an offensive coordinator in the current mod, you know, in this uh, post 2000 world mainly because Nick Saban won seven. <laughs> so that yeah. kind of skews the number. But you also have Kirby Smart who did it. You had Bob Stoops who did it. He was very good at that point in time. Um, you had other head coaches who, who were kind of moving in that direction. And, and I, I want to say, if you're going to move in a certain direction, uh, having a, a CEO defensive coordinator type of head coach does seem to be a um, maybe a better long-term example of success potentially because yeah. there's a certain culture that gets dis- instilled and a certain toughness you know if i want to do a bunch of guy talk at that point in time mm-hmm. uh where the offensive side they can look at it and say okay i can get you something going this year and then we'll figure yeah. out next year next year <laughs> you know like i can yeah, get that exactly. yeah it you know now that said the boar uh i think it i think it's something like anytime he's as i heard this stat on um I saw the verbal and already forgotten it. It was something like anytime he's been in a place uh, past his first year, he's like 82 and two or something like yeah, that. I mean, yeah, no, yeah, phenomenal, yeah. He's a winner. So winners win. <laughs> he's going to win. Yeah. But is he going to win at a level? You know, is he just going to win at that level? I mean, he's, he has to win at a 12 to 11 game winning every year level. I mean, Nick Saban was getting, wasn't any, wasn't real. But there are people who are like, it's been three years, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what's happening here? You yeah. Know, it's, are we losing stuff? You know, and if he has a couple, couple of nine, let's say he has two nine win seasons, that's going to be very hot, very, very fast. And is he going to have the ability to, uh, to do what you said, like let go of the offensive reign or something of that nature and try to become that CEO style, which a, a place like Alabama a place like Texas, a place like Ohio State, you know, all those big time places where you have all those personalities, you have to be able to handle. I don't know if he can. He's never done yeah. it. I also don't know if he's gonna have time to do it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that just may be a different different perspective for him. Right. Yeah. And then I guess one last thing, you know, part of what Saban also did, I think, is really at the end of the day, uh emphasize the idea of college as your preparation for the NFL uh, in terms of bringing players in and, and, you know, kind of building your entire program around that sense of like competition and development uh, internally, you know, to, uh, you know, further your career as a, in, in the pros. Right. And like, I don't know if that, if we're, we're kind of entering a weird space where with all the focus on the NIL, for example, I mean, there's still a lot more money to be made as a pro football player. So, you know, with, especially a place like Al- Alabama, you know, is DeBoer going to be, I mean, you know, 
Nick Saban's whole thing wasn't I'm going to take take worse players and you know the worst players and and coach them up and beat you know take yours and beat you type thing. It was I'm getting the best of the best to come here and compete against each other to develop and like I just don't. That's a it's I don't know how programs I you would think that that's still the best way to kind of develop like a juggernaut the way Alabama was, but. Can is DeBoer up to that kind of task? Is that the kind of uh, thing that you know he'll want to he'll want to instill, or will he just kind of it, will he still look at it as I'm you know I'm trying I'm trying to win games that win this game this week if that makes sense. So some less less thing to think about, and you know one of the coaches that I think about though when I think about okay well you know this this is one guy who does very good short term management is Lincoln Riley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at USC. I mean, he's pretty good when it comes to, uh, you know, taking what he has and making the best of it. Uh, and he made the best of it for a while with Caleb Williams. Uh, but the USC quarterback, uh, one time Oklahoma QB, uh, declares, uh, heading off to the NFL, all the talk about him, uh, you know, staying for his senior year <laughs> and, uh, you know, using his leverage maybe to, uh, you know, force a better situation for him in the NFL. Sounds like that's all, that was all uh, just a lot of hot air. Um, I mean, this is the number one pick in the NFL draft, right? I, I guess so. I, I'll say that. <laughs> to me, it seems to be the case, but, uh, you know, the NFL draft guys, have have been tearing into him pretty recently uh, and we're mm-hmm. going to enter into NFL draft season uh, which is a horrible season of Twitter if oh, you're following uh, college football stuff because they they lean into things and they're like oh this this and this or you get people really talking them into like a as I still remember because this jogged my memory uh, of you mentioning it uh, I think it's uh, in the Pittsburgh game you know people being like man this Mason Rudolph guy he can throw it he can rip it I'm like, you guys didn't watch any of these football games no nope, <laughs> okay. not, not a second it's like yeah in a workout I, sh- I bet he looks great <laughs> or individual yeah. moments I bet that he looks he can look great but it's like man you've got to look at the full full complexity of this and you know Caleb I don't know how well he'll because he's in the position of he's the number one overall pick which means yeah. now teams will need to look at him and say, okay, what are all the reasons in which he isn't the number one overall pick? You know, if I were doing my due mm-hmm. diligence at that point in time. And I could probably pick out a lot of flaws. I mean, he's six foot, six foot one, you know, 205, 210, 215, something like that. He's not your prototypical guy. He's not Josh Allen running around out there. He's not even Pat Mahomes level, you know, size wise. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's very unstructured in his work. He comes from a, a system which is a one-read system. You know, everyone wants to talk about Lincoln Ryan has great systems and stuff, and they are. But kind of like how he does year-to-year, he's a play-to-play guy as well. I mean, yeah. that play is meant to throw to X receiver bar none. If that guy's not open, then you need to run around <laughs> and wait yeah, for somebody yeah, to break open from the improv side. That's not how NFL, you know, offenses work. Uh, it, it's it just isn't there's not enough time it just i mean everything mm-hmm. it has to be one two three go or you're done you know, there just isn't time for this and i'm not trying to say caleb doesn't have a fast processor or anything of that nature i i don't we I, he has i don't think he's been put into position to have to do that um yeah but he will be tasked with doing something much much different and if i'm the bears number one overall and i look at him and i squint my eyes i'll sit there and say 
what is he bringing that's different than what I've got? Yeah, now, that's that's a big that's a big jump. Justin Fields to, to Caleb Williams potentially, but Justin was very very good in college. Uh, you know, he did beautiful throws and all that kind of stuff, and he you know would run around and, and let stuff open up in front of him and stuff like that. Um, so it kind of gets in that point of perspective of okay, are we getting stuck in this whole idea of every draft every quarterback? Um, who's able to run around and make magic happens is Pat Mahomes, yeah. <laughs> you know, or is he more of a Baker Mayfield, more of a Kyler Murray, which are good starters in NFL. But if you re- were to redraft, though, they're you know Baker and Kyler probably aren't going number one overall. No, uh, either again. So to me, that's where it kind of falls in line. The issue is that you know so many of these teams need quarterbacks, and so someone's going to draft him or Drake or. Uh, I don't know some of the other guys. JJ was getting uh, has been mocked to my oh, Broncos yeah. multiple times, and it's dreadful to think about. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yeah. But I, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Do you think he's just number one for bullet, and it's just here we go, uh, or does he does he bring more concern to you? I look at it and think, okay, I saw so many things from Caleb Williams that you just like are are yeah. just mutant. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah. That like. I feel like I feel like he should be the first quarterback to go. I feel like I'd like to, you know, looking at that skill set, it's the kind of thing you'd be tempted to want to try to build an offense and you know, around, you know, I mean, kind of hit your hit your wagon there. If I'm the Bears, I'm not sure if that's the way I'm going simply because I don't know, I don't think Fields is that bad. I don't understand what the what the real issue is and I feel like you could probably, I mean, there's, you know, they're always looking for quarterbacks, you know, in, in the NFL. I mean, there's bound to be a quarterback needy team that would, you could figure out some kind of deal to, uh, you know, uh, maybe make a little bit of a haul by dealing down. Um, but, you know, I, I'm also not all that impressed by most of the, oh God, man, alarm going off. Okay. <laughs> I'm also not all that impressed by like, you know, I mean, like Drake May seems like a nice quarterback. I don't think he, he'd be like a long-term NFL guy. Um, you know, you mentioned JJ McCarthy. You know, Penix. I don't know. I mean, he's you know yeah. been been so beat up. It just you know, if if you if you really need a quarterback, to me that would be the the number one guy, the first guy I would take. So uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I always kind of look back. I mean, I, I never really blamed uh, Williams for you know, uh, leaving OU just because, I mean, you know, his whole thing was, you know, he came to OU to get coached by Lincoln Riley, you know, I mean, Lincoln Riley left and had chance, he had a chance to follow him. I mean, you know, it, it all makes sense. You know, I, uh, I, it, it, I, it was hard though, like the last two seasons watching him out there and thinking like, man, he was, you know, oh, you could have had that, like, you know what I mean? Like, um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think one other, one last thing too, though, is, it does seem like there's some noise, you know, around him kind of off the field, not so much with him, you know, uh, being, you know, uh, behavioral issues or stuff like that. But I mean, uh, people are going to wonder about his dad, I'm sure. I mean, who's had a pretty big hand in managing his career to this point and presumably will going forward. So I guess that's, that's going to be another thing to watch uh, the rest of the way. Yeah. I mean, there's no denying he's just, he's just a talent. You know, yeah, he, he is a talent. Now, I saw some pushback earlier, too, and I kind of like buy into that. It's like, is he, you know, a generational talent? 
I'm not for sure. You know, yeah. you've had other quarterbacks who are, who are doing something very similar stuff to him. But with this draft, it's him, Drake May, Jaden Daniels. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, Penix and J.J. McCarthy. If you need a quarterback, then, yeah, you're drafting him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, exactly, exactly. That's the hard part. Now, if I were the Bears or if I were these other guys, you know, I would look at my team and say, are we a quarterback away? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, or does it really matter whoever we put back here because the offensive line needs fixed, the wide receivers need fixed? I mean, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I'm not trying to say quarterbacks don't matter, but you, you, they need to be put in positions in which they can succeed. I mean, even if they're undeniably great, like Andrew Luck, he drugged that team until he couldn't do it anymore. And yeah. then, you know, that was that. Um, so th that's, that's kind of the hard part from that perspective. It's like you need to make sure that part gets handled. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that, that, uh, <laughs> that completes everything Brady had for us. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything else big, uh, going on that you, uh, that we, we haven't caught up with so far? Anything big going on? Uh, nothing big going on. I want to say we've got some, uh, the fandom, I think voted wrong on our Twitter post <laughs> keyhole pod. Uh, it's not that because I got second place. It's just, uh, your your Mount Rushmore of beer drinkers again. If you don't if, if you don't uh, follow us on on Twitter, you need to do it. But we had some uh, uh, Mount Rushmores of coaches you'd want to get a drink with. I had Switzer, Steve Spurrier, Mike Leach, and Bobby Petrino. Uh, Alan had Switzer, Saban, Dana Hoverson, and Mike uh, Mike Price, Mark Price, Mike Mike Price. Mike yeah, Price. that was a blast from the past. Yeah. But if you're familiar with Mike Price's story, you might uh, you might understand. <laughs> why i thought maybe he'd be a guy to bring along uh brady had switzer steve sprayer uh ed orgeron and coach o and then very oddly and very strangely mac brown uh, yeah like that just sounded pick, to me terrible sorry. like that's the last person i'd want to like hang out with i mean he's such a wet blanket all the time and like you know he'd be started talking about faith family you know educate i mean like come on man this is not what i want to hear about and then uh matt had switzer mike leach Shane Beamer and Lane Kiffin. I, my assumption is the the combination of Leach and, and Lane Kiffin uh, with Switzer kind of put him over the top there. But uh, I just can't believe you'd want to go get a drink with Shane Beamer. Maybe he's cool. He seems like a cool thing. I still don't yes, know if he's yeah, the, oh, the yeah. guy I'd want to, uh, if I had like to pick one. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. think he obviously didn't make my top four. Uh, but yeah, we do some funny stuff like that on our Twitter. So give us a follow. It's very, very helpful for us. And then uh, over on the Patreon, uh, join us on patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Uh, I have a film review. Now it's going to be like film review and other stuff. Now that we're going to the off season that uh, you can subscribe to. It's a $5 tier. It's just $1, $1 tier than our main tier. Uh, I'll be building out a power rating system with the help of everybody kind of walking through uh, how to do this. I do not know how to do it. So I'm gonna build it blindly and then test it and then see what happens. Uh, but everyone can have a chance to kind of toss their uh, two cents in there as we're building that out. Uh, but other than that, I think we've got some stuff, and uh, I think we're trying to get some uh, maybe some Nick, Nick Saban content as well, kind of in the future, things of that nature. So uh, join us over on Patreon, guys. It's pretty. It's a pretty cool hang, to be honest with you. you we can be on your Mount Rushmore of, of people <laughs> to get beers with if that's the house. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, yeah, I think that kind of, you know, uh, uh closes up shop for the evening then uh you know thanks again to our uh main sponsor vanessa house uh and you know again as uh pay mentioned check out that patreon and also hey wherever you're listening to this like rate us and review us you know a five star rating of course would be optimal but whatever just put some just put a review up there wherever it is you're getting this spotify apple podcast whatever 
Um, so I guess that's going to kind of uh, finish it out. Is there anything else that we missed? No, that's about it. But uh, I'll, I'll give us a sign off here, just as we always do. Thank you so much for myself, for Matt, for Matt, for Alan, for Brady, for Vanessa House, for anyone listening. Boomer sooner. Be my Sina.